Welcome to another episode of Buzzworthy Marketing Show. So welcome, and I'm doing something very unique. We've not done this in the six seasons we've been around. We've never had a panel. And um, so to just catch you up, I'm in this mastermind, and I'm in this room one day with a bunch of brilliant people, and I realized there were three operational geniuses in my room. I mean, I was like, geez Louise. And we started talking about the fact that each one of them should be on my show. And I'm like, well, that's going to be crazy because they're all going to want to talk about the same stuff. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'll bring them all in one show. And you guys are going to get right to the vein, some awesome insights on the operations of running your business. Because marketing is absolutely worthless if you can't provide the services that you have sold. So today I'm bringing in Cassie, Sean, and Nico. I'm not going to bore you guys with their bios. I'm going to let their prowess give you the insights that these folks have. Welcome to the Buzzworthy Marketing Show. So I've got Cassie, Sean, Nico. Welcome to the show. How's everybody doing today? Great. Thanks, Buzz. Awesome. Super glad to be here. I feel like Good. I'm kind of on American Idol. Like I want people to text in and vote for me or something. <laughs> <laughs> vote for me as your ops expert. Just kidding, guys. Oh my so God. You for your money, okay? I'm thinking because over here, the, the quiet, <laughs> what he's like, they're all, I've got dirt. I've got dirt on Cassie. No, I'm ready for Cassie. <laughs> we are just like hybrid. We like a hybrid of, um, what is that? Uh, Jerry Springer meets American <laughs> Idol, right? Here we go. Right here. Like we just want people to win show. Sean's like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> you guys go for it. All right. So I'll stay and watch, but you know, that'll bug. <laughs> We're going to dive right in. Um, and let's see. We should do like paper, rock, scissors for who is going to start. But I'm going to let whoever has uh, the first answer come to their head on this question right here, which is in the context of small business. How crucial is it to balance innovation with operational stability? And how can we achieve this? Mm. Everybody's do, 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 do. This, this, this people right here, this is the difference between marketers and operations people. Marketers will just start talking until it makes sense. Operations people are just going, okay. Mm. Like get the right answer the first time. I think that uh, I think it's a little of both. I think you have to always be blending in some innovation. You have to be able to be creative. You have to be able to think a little bit and be monitoring. And as a marketer, and anyone that's in marketing, which is most of your audience, it sounds like they're going to constantly be monitoring what's going on in the marketplace. And that could and should, in my view, lead to some innovation along the way. Like, hey, maybe we need to do something a little bit different. This doesn't seem to be resonating as well, especially if you're in the service industry kind of have to adapt a little bit and uh, be ready to innovate and create all of those good eight words, whatever they are. <laughs> the eight, there. The eight word. I love that. I want to, I want to come. So I'm mostly financial consulting. I sort of come at ops from a financial perspective. So I want to, I was thinking about my response to your question. So I think it depends. My, my answer has nuance. Um, I think that you have to be profitable in order to fund your innovation. If you're trying to fund your innovation internally, 
there are many companies that are not profitable that get outside capital to fund their innovation with the hope that someday they've become so innovative that they've been able to capture so much market share that now they can become profitable later. So you sort of have to make that choice. Are we becoming profitable first or later? Gotcha. I love that. Cassie, you got anything to add? Yeah, good answers. Um, you know, I would say there's kind of two types of innovation as I'm thinking about it, especially for small business. There's innovation that's going to drive disruption or create new market share. So innovation that's specifically geared toward maybe client acquisition or bettering your product. Mm -hmm. And then I think about similar to Nico that you need that baseline of operational efficiency to give you the runway to create innovation. And as a small business, that runway is going to be um, smaller than if you're playing the game of, of venture capital or taking on other people's money. So profitability and cash flow are really bedrocked, I think, by innovation. So I think of innovation as kind of two things. Innovation facing externally, like how are you innovating to serve clients? Where are you at the cutting edge? Like maybe even integrating things like AI into your business model. But then I also think of innovation from an internal perspective, how to become more operationally efficient. So how can we do more with less given the constraints of what we already have? And I think good operations gives you not just runway, but it gives you a continual um, value stack to your runway so that mm. you can ultimately do more, hopefully with less over time as you become more operationally effective and efficient. Well, I think that that, that talks to the small business owner and the entrepreneur is like, we're always having to do more with less because we started with nothing and we're trying to create something, right? And as a business owner, I, I look at innovation in the, you, you mentioned cutting edge and there's, there's one further than cutting edge, which is bleeding edge, right? And so people that are in the AI, you also mentioned that in AI, AI is not new, right? People have been bleeding on the bleeding edge of AI for almost a decade, if not longer, right? mega machines doing this stuff. And I, I can't remember the IBM's first smart uh, supercomputer that was actually using AI um, learning, machine learning, which was kind of like the baby steps of AI, right? And I always find that for small businesses, we don't need to be on the bleeding edge. And most of us don't even have to necessarily be on the cutting edge. We should have to be on the leading edge. Let other people who have more resources go ahead and figure this stuff out for you. And as they start giving you the feedback of their experiences and start creating case studies that actually show profitability for you, that's when you can grab onto it, right? And I've been in business for 18 years and I tell people all the time, if I see something brand new, AI is perfect. This last year of everybody exploding and jumping on and becoming experts, I'm like, nobody's an expert. So we've been around for about a year, year and a half. Like, how are you an expert in anything, buddy? You're you're playing around with it just the, the, like the rest of us. And the thing is, is that in marketing, yeah, we we try to be at the bleed at the the bleeding edge of whatever the next thing is. And so I'm like, guys, your clients can't afford for you to play around with their marketing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I I agree with all three of you, and all of those answers are the different ways of looking at innovation. And I think it's just important that. We do look at that profitability, the stability, and then the different types of innovation there. So um, I want to go on to the next question here, which because it kind of leads right into what we're talking about here, which is how important is the role of technology in streamlining operations for small businesses, 
not necessarily those looking for seed money. Okay. And can you give an example of a transformative tech solution that maybe our audience could uh, take a look at or maybe consider? So I'll jump in and really quickly just give you like the 20 second rundown. Um, in terms of my operations career, I've done a lot of the intersection with operations and human resources. And Sean and I have actually talked off this call about it's kind of hard to separate like who does the thing versus what the thing is in business, right? So like, to me, operations and human resources go hand in hand. And when I'm advising small businesses and they, they come to me and they're like, hey, I want to think about growing my team. I want to increase my headcount. My very first question is, is there a technology solution out there that would prevent you from needing to hire this role? It's not because I don't believe in job creation, but having a W-2 employee is the most expensive and time-intensive investment for a small business that presents the most risk. And a lot of the businesses I work with and consult with, gosh, we, like, we love our people. If we here bring someone on your team, you want them to have a great experience. You want them to have prosperity in the business. You want them to create outsized results and leverage. That's a huge time and energy and money investment into a human. So my first question when I thought of your how you framed this is, I always look for a technology solution before I hire. Then I look for a vendor and my last resort would be actually bringing someone on the team. I think um, that we're in that. I think, I think you're, you hit it right on the head. It's like it, we're in that, the age now where we can look at technology first. And even if it is a matter of using the technology to maybe not need a full-time employee, maybe you just need an on-call employee, those types of things. How are you seeing that, Nico, in, in the financial world? Because that's, I mean, that's very tech heavy. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe I'll stick with operations for a second in my answer. Cause I like what Cassie said, but coming at it from another perspective that I have when working with clients, a lot of times clients tend to use business owners tend to use, um, technology as sort of like a escape hatch or like a, a rip cord or something like that. They, they're sort of like, well, let's just get this new software tool. And then two years Two years later, they're like, well, now we need to change the software tool we implemented two years ago because it's not working properly. Let's get a new one. And I think we've all heard like the people process technology. You kind of need those three things in your operation. I think the people and the process first. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go out and hire a bunch of people, Cassie, to your point. You don't want to just add cost. Um, but you've got to make sure before you bring in some new technology that you already have the process sort of figured out. We always call it sneaker net. It's like just people running around making the, the process happen um, before you bring in a technology that can then replace all of your running around. But mm. a lot of business owners I work with, they're sort of, their hair's on fire. They don't really know what's going on with their process. And that's not the right time to bring in a technology solution. Mm. Right, yeah, because you're, you're, you're basically somebody with a hammer sees everything as a nail, right? Right. Versus having a toolbox and then going, okay, what is our problem? What solution are we trying to solve for? And then, and then looking for the tool in the toolbox. So I, I love that right there. What do you think, Sean? That's a great question. I really appreciate the responses of both Cassie and Nico, because it, uh, it's something that I, I kind of wrestle with myself is how much technology do I want to implement? And I think the word that for whatever reason is coming to my mind is Monday. If there's a task that people or someone finds mundane because it's very repetitive, there's certainly going to be a technology solution to help alleviate that. I think as human beings, this is a very, you know, 
broad statement, but I think as human beings, we have a desire to create, we have a desire to think. And if that is taken away from us in our job, we lose interest in the job. And if we can replace that mundane activity or task list with technology and let technology do the mundane things, Mm. that frees us up. And so I completely agree that we have to be careful about overstaffing in a situation like that. But at the same time, I'll throw out that, you know, within certain parameters, of course, it's a good idea to have some human beings sitting around trying to think if they're productive in their thinking and they're coming up with this innovation and they're monitoring and they're saying, how can we make it better? Back to Cassie's point. Um, I think that uh, that opportunity to use technology to, to kind of free us up to think and to do other things within the company. And I think it's hard and, and we'll see how things go with, with AI. It's hard for me to envision AI being a, a you know interactive like we're doing right now and i still think that that's going to have to be a human function where we're c- customer service um anything customer facing client facing is still going to need a human a, a good person to be able to do that so there's just a few additional thoughts but you know i think we all like technology for what it can uh, what it can do to help make our lives easier you know i'm gonna bring every all three of your guys's response down to from a business owner's uh perspective is that i think that we have to, we definitely need to understand our process Right, and you can't you you can't bring a tool in if you don't already have a process for it, right? And and, and there's this thing called tech creep that business owners are notorious for, right? Because it's like, oh, there's this new tool that'll let me get rid of this that I don't already have a process for, and then they get the tool and then they don't know how to use it because there's no process to plug it into, you know. And I'm talking to all all of your guys as I'm just kind of synthesizing this all into into that when we look at technology you see a new toy you know what i do now i put it on i put it in a, a keep note and when i'm looking for a solution for something that's mundane like sean was talking about then i go to that little toy box a little sandbox if you will and i look at what the toys are in there and i go oh yeah i remember i saw that one thing that does that will do that mundane thing that i need now Versus looking at, because you, when you get sold these things, you're like, save time, make more money, free up your dot, 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 whatever that looks like, right? The leverage, dot, 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 dot. And then you turn around and you're like, yes, I want it. But now how do I use it? Instead of, I need this solution, what tools can I use to solve it, right? And I think that's what you guys all like, collectively said from my point of view. So unless anybody else has anything to add to that. I do. I'm going to add one quick thing. <laughs> I, love um, I also think if, if you are a company that doesn't have a lot of, you know, software implementation experience internally, it is really, really beneficial to bring somebody in, even if it's just for the first software tool that you implement to help show you the way to do it properly. Cause there's a very normal set of gathering stakeholder requirements, mapping out, you know, the use of the tool implementing, training, handoff, like there's a very set process and you can learn that just on the first go and then you can start to do it after that. But mm-hmm. when when businesses implement technology and they don't know how to implement properly, it never goes well. Another thing I do, and I think that it's, I think it would behoove even the smallest, of it, like the less people you have, the more what you just said makes sense, right? Because when you're wearing all of the hats and then you bring on a technology to do something you're you're going to try to implement it as fast as possible so you can get to the next hat 
right? Yeah. And so you're not taking the time. Now, when you have people that you can delegate to and say, hey, listen, we're going to save you time by taking what you already do by using this tool through what automation, whatever that looks like, right? And now they get, they have their bandwidth already set for using this tool to free themselves up for money. And so they can do that. So I, I really like that idea of like bringing in a consultant, even if it's just ad hoc, like, can you spend a half day? This is the tools that I've been looking at. Here's my problem. What do you think? Which one do you think works best for me? And them looking from the outside in are going to give you better insight than you can give yourself. So I think that's an awesome way to do it. Another thing that I want to do before we move on to this or say before we move on, off of this is that tech creep happens when we don't audit our technology stack. Mm. Okay. And we need to be doing that every three to six months max because technology today is moving so fast and the offerings from the technology we're buying from are changing right underneath our noses. And guess what? They don't tell us unless they're trying to charge us more. And so going back to what you're looking at, and it's kind of like what Cassie was uh, kind of leaning towards the, or, or kind of mentioned earlier was, is like, it's just like hiring too many people having too much technology because technology costs money too, right? And technology can actually create more work if you're not looking at your complete tech stack and how it works. And then what I do is I go, what can we live without? What's not getting used enough for what we're paying for? And if we ask that question every three to six months, I think we really keep our tech stack very small. There's a reason there are apps out there for interpersonal lives that go and look at all of the subscriptions we have and the ones we don't use, right? We do the same thing in business. I wish they would get it for us in business there. So let's move on to, you know, we, we talked about like using technology, leveraging and people and all those good things. What we have to be able to measure this, right? Like we don't know if something's working well operationally and the efficiencies and stuff like that. If we don't understand the KPIs that our small service-based business is focused on, right? So how do we gauge our operational health in the small business realm? I think it's my turn to go first. Yeah, I think it's it. <laughs> This oh, one's light says up. Hold, it's Nico's turn. <laughs> no pressure. It's no pressure. This this one's right up um, my alley. I mean, this is like whenever we work with with a small business owner, one of the first things we're doing is understanding what their KPIs are, and they they sometimes don't know. Um, they're often not tracking them, even if they do know. Hmm. But it's really really important to track these, and so we'll build a process to make sure that we can collect that data. We'll put it on a, a beautiful dashboard that makes everything visual and, and easy to see and easy to track. Um, but I mean, without measuring those KPIs, business owners don't really know why they're having the problem they're having. They may know, hey, it's really hard to make payroll right now, or my revenue has stopped climbing. Um, but if you can't really drill deeper, you'll never really know why. So mm -hmm. I think they're crucial. That's beautiful. Cassie? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go super simple on this one, especially with the frame of small business. And I think cash flow is really sexy. It's not necessarily something that gets talked about enough sometimes, but I I'm shocked. I And through my operational career, one of my tours of duty, I feel like one of my rounds was working at, in a bookkeeping and accounting firm. 
And that's not my background. My background is ops, ops, um, and HR, but it was such a valuable experience. And what shocked me is how many business owners don't know how to read their financial statements. Oh, wow. And they don't know their numbers. And so to, D- to Nico's point, KPIs are critical. They're the lifeblood and the health. But even like a simpler step than that is just know your numbers, like know, know the financial piece of the puzzle and and do whatever it takes to get self-educated and aware of that. Because I'm, I'm still continuously shocked when I work with clients and they're running even multi-six-figure businesses, service-based businesses. And I'm sitting down, I'm like, okay, what's your cash flow plan? Like, what's going on? Where's the cash going? Do you have a deployment strategy? Like, you want to 10x your business. Like, people hire me. They're like, okay, I want to 10x my business. Then they freak out. They're like, I don't know what I would spend that money on. I don't know. I don't know what I would do with that cash flow. So I, I think it's like super simple. Like my dad has this phrase, like I'm way too old for this, but it'll still like slip me a $20 bill and say like, nothing says I love you like cash, which I'm like, still true. Like, but with inflation, maybe we'll make this a hundred. Like, I don't know. Just saying. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that. Cash. Yeah. Cash. You know, I, I ran my creative agency was my, before I started this company. Now I had a brick and mortar creative agency. And I'm telling you, we were in the millions of dollars and cash flow was an issue, right? And, and I was in that, that mindset. You need to hire Nico. Right? Um, well, I don't have that problem anymore. We don't have a 13,000 square foot building. Past you. <laughs> so I had to learn cash flow from Mike McCallowitz and Profit First. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard that book. And for the audience, if you haven't read that book and you're in business, you're actually costing yourself money. Go spend the 25 bucks, get it hardcover or 15 bucks on Amazon and the Kindle and read that book. It changed my understanding of money altogether, let alone cash flow in a business. Because when we hear cash flow, we hear money in, right? And what Cassie's talking about is the money out. Like how much of that is going out? And technically, the cash flow is how much do you get to keep, right? And people don't realize that cash flow is actually flowing to you, not just flowing through your business. So besides cash flow, Sean, can I ask you some of the like maybe top three KPIs on the operational side? Because we now you've got the financial side, right? Like we, we know that we need to be looking at cash in, cash out, how much are we keeping, right? What other KPIs on the operational side for a small business should we be uh, measuring? I think it all starts sales and growth. You've, you've got and there's different ways to break that down. How many leads are you getting? How many of those are converting? Mm. Uh, what are they converting into? What yeah. are your better selling products or services? Mm. And I think also the efficiencies, and Cassie touched on this a little bit earlier, but being able to measure how quickly are, are we turning the, the customer over? Is it a long-term customer? How long are you keeping your customers? Are they six-month customers? Is mm-hmm. that by design? Are you a subscription-based? If so, what's the average duration of a client? Is it three months? Is it 12 months? Is it longer? Mm-hmm. And you can go through, There's a, to me, it, it all starts with sales and growth. And so um, it, it's, uh, it sounds so obvious, but it's amazing how many people don't have a good grasp of how much they're spending to generate a client, just a good old-fashioned CPA, the acquisition, what does it cost you to get a client? Yes. And how can you measure? And it's not easy sometimes because you're trying multiple things, and especially when you're first getting started, and you kind of have to play around and, and throw things against the wall to see what sticks. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's the way it is. 
But uh, as soon as possible, you want to start measuring that and then reevaluating because sometimes what happens, and I, I shouldn't chuckle because it's kind of tragic in a way, but people, uh, the, especially in the service industry, they'll start getting clients. Mm-hmm. They'll start fulfilling. They're happy. Everything's going well. They're trying different things and they're getting new sources and new lead sources. And they don't remember to go back and reevaluate. Are these... The, is this the best way? Because they may be using kind of an older method of acquiring a client that's actually really expensive, but because they've been doing it since day one, they just keep doing it over and over and over again. They don't reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Hey, where is where are we where are we best suited to spend our money? Because if you've got something that's actually really profitable, put more money into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't need to spend as much money on the on the other things. Maybe you keep them going just as a, as a keep a you know a little bit of a lifeline there. And then it's, I'm speaking very generally, of course, but. For me, it all starts with sales and growth and then the efficiencies of, of monitoring how long you keep your clients, depending on whether your service or a little bit more inventory transactional based. And I think that after we get past that, the next thing is the profitability of those services. Because you could be selling the crap out of something that's not making you very much money. And in a service-based business, human equity is the most, like Cassie said it earlier, it's the most expensive uh, line on your expense sheet is is people, right? Fifty percent uh, is is average for people to spend on just the human factor of their business, right? That's not overhead. That's not your regular overhead, your tech stacks, financial, all the other stuff, right? Um, that's a big chunk, right? So I think that definitely what Sean was talking about as far as like your sales side, but remember. That's the money coming in and you're, you're tracking how much money you're coming in. Now, uh, f- kind of from our, our previous point, we got to make sure, or I think Cassie was talking about, they got to make sure that not all of it is going right back out and that the things that we are selling are going to be profitable for us. Now, before we get to the next question, we're going to make a part two because we're already 26 minutes into this. And I know my listeners are like, Buzz, you need to be wrapping this up. I got to get to work. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to push pause right here. For all of my listeners, we're going to do a part two. And we're going to be, and next week, we're going to put that out. So you will have it right away. I won't make you wait. And we're going to bring all three of these guys back. And we're going to continue to talk about operations for small business. So until next time, stay buzzworthy. worthy.